0: book three chapter thirteen part two of tasker jevons the real story by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book three his book chapter thirteen part two we sailed into ostend on the tail end of the sunset what was left of it was enough to keep up for us the intense moment of transfiguration so that we didn't miss it. The long white deeg, the towers, the domes of the casinos and hotels, the high flat fronts of the houses, showed soaked in light, quivering with light. Ostend might have been some enchanted eastern city. It was as if the heroic land faced us with the illusion of enchantment, to cover the desolation that lay beyond her dikes. And we who looked at it were still silent, not now as if we had quarrelled, But as if this beauty had made peace between us viola's face had changed it reminded me in the oddest way of her brother reggie's i think that for the moment while it lasted she had forgotten jimmy she had forgotten her brother reggie she had touched the fringe of the immensity that had drawn them from her and swallowed them up and in forgetting them she had forgotten her unhappy self in ostend at any rate i was to have no more of her brooding we had no sooner landed than she became the adorable creature who had run away with jevons nine years ago and led me that dance through the cities of flanders she showed me the same whole-hearted devotion to the adventure the same innocence the same tact in ignoring my state of mind she seemed to be making terms with me as she had made them then suggesting that if i would ignore a few things i should find her the most delightful companion in my travels we must she seemed to say of course forget everything that she had said to me the other night or that i had said to her before or since and as she swung beside me in her khaki her freedom and her freshness declared how admirably she had forgotten it wasn't as if we didn't know what we were really out for except that she was a maturer person thirty-one and not twenty-two i might have mistaken her for viola thesiger my secretary setting out in defiance of all conventions with little jevons to look for belfries in belgium and taking the war since there was a war on in her stride and as i walked with her through the same streets where nine years ago i had hunted for her and jevons it struck me as a strange unsettling thing that i should be taking her out to look for jevons and at the same time playing precisely jevons's part in the adventure she too must have been aware of this oddness for she stopped suddenly to say to me do you remember when i ran away with jimmy isn't it funny that i should be running away with you i said it was very funny indeed and i wondered why she had drawn my attention to it just now does she want to make me judge by the transparent innocence of this running the not quite so transparent innocence of that i think so remember it was reggie thesiger's apparent doubt as to her innocence that had been at the bottom of all the trouble of the last five years it accounted for attack on me the other night it was as if she had turned to say to me triumphantly now perhaps when i'm running away with your precious perfection at last you understand we had some difficulty in finding quarters and viola insisted on our staying in the station hotel which had been bombarded by an aeroplane the night before she pointed out that it was almost entirely empty and so she said there won't be anybody to see us it was as if she wished to remind me by how thin a thread my reputation hung the business of our passports kept us in ostend the next morning i had made up my mind there would be difficulty about viola's military pass i was even contemplating the possibility of her being sent back to england by the next boat but no she had forestalled obstruction and the pocket of her khaki coat was stuffed with letters from the war office the british red cross and the french and belgian embassies in fact there was one horrid moment at the depot when it looked as if the special correspondent would be smuggled through under viola's protection you see furny she said nobody's going to stop me nobody wants to stop me at last we got off and early in the afternoon we were in bruges We had run into the market place before we knew where we were, and yonder in the street at the back of it was Viola's pension, and here on her right hand was Jimmy's hotel, and there, towering before us, was the belfry. We looked at each other, and through the war and across nine years, it all came back to us. The belfry's still there, I said. It always was, she said it a little sternly, but she had smiled at the illusion all the same, the smile that had never been denied to it we stayed an hour in bruges and lunched there in jimmy's hotel the fat proprietor and his wife were still there and they remembered us they remembered jimmy and they had seen him three days ago mr chevins had passed through bruges in his red cross motor-car they seemed uncertain whether viola was mrs chevins or mrs furnival and they addressed her indifferently as either an awful indifference had come to them of the war they said c'est triste n'est-ce pas We left them sitting pallid and depressed behind the barricade of their bureau, gazing after us with the saddest of smiles. That hour in Bruges was a mistake. So was our lunching at Jimmy's hotel. It was too much for Viola. It brought Jimmy so horribly near to her. I don't know what she was thinking, but I am convinced that from the moment of our entering Bruges, the poor child had made up her mind that Jimmy had been killed. The smile she had given to the belfry was the last flicker of her self-control and halfway through lunch the grey melancholy that bruges had absorbed from jimmy nine years ago came down on her as nine years ago it had come down on me and it swallowed her up by the time the waiter brought the coffee she was done for her eyes stared hard and hot over the cup she tried to drink from she couldn't drink because of the spasm in her throat come i said we must clear out of this we cleared out i too was invaded by the grey melancholy as we came to the bridge by the eastern gate, where I had found Jevons that night leaning over and looking into the canal. It was the sentry's sudden springing up to challenge us that saved me. I hoped that it would save Viola. She enjoyed the sentries, But not this time. Her nerves were all on edge, and she showed some irritation at the delay. I felt then that I had to take her in hand. My dear child, I said, we were running out on the road to Ghent now, do you realize that there's a war? she answered yes wally yes i know there is do you know that antwerp's over there a little way to the north and that they've dragged up the big guns from namur for the siege of antwerp oh wally have they she turned her face to the north as if she thought she could see or hear the siege guns but you said jimmy was in ghent jimmy i said is probably in ghent if he isn't he's in antwerp do you know that the battlefields are down there no there to the south where i'm pointing there's fighting going on there now she said yes dear i know i know very gently and she put her hand on my knee as if she recognized the war as my private tragedy and was sorry for me then she fell back to her brooding somewhere on the great flagged road between bruges and Eclu, we met a straggling train of refugees old men and women and children bent double under their enormous bundles, making for Bruges and Ostend. They stared, not at us, but at the road in front of them, with a dreadful apathy as we passed. This, I said, is what finishes me, every time I see it. She said nothing. Do you realize, I said, that those women and those little children are flying for their lives? That they've come, doubled up like that, for miles, from Termon or Allot, that they've lost everything they ever had, i can hear my own voice beating out the horror of it in hard cruel jerks that their homes their homes are burned to ashes somewhere down there at my last jerk she turned no she said i'm cold and hard and stupid and i do not realize it neither do you if either of us realized it for two seconds we should be either cutting our throats in that ditch or going back to ostend now with a load of those women and children instead of tearing past them like devils in this damned car. I can't realize anything till I know whether Jimmy's all right or not. I can't see anything, or feel anything, or think of anything but Jimmy. Bruges is Jimmy, and Belgium is Jimmy, and the whole war is Jimmy to me. I don't care if you are horrified. I can't help it if I am callous. It is so, and you can't make it different. I remember saying quite abjectly that I was sorry, that I was only trying to turn her mind to other things as a relief. I'm to turn my mind to that, as a relief? She showed me a woman I was trying not to see, a woman who carried the bedding of her household on her back and dragged a four-year-old child by the hand. The child slipped to its knees at every other yard, and at every other yard was pulled up whimpering and dragged again, not with anger or any emotion whatever, but with a sickening repetition, as if its mother's arm was a mechanism set going to pull and drag if ever there was a weathercock it was my sister-in-law without even pretending to consult me she made colville the chauffeur turn the car round it was her chauffeur after all she said i don't know she said whether i realize that woman or not or whether you do but i'm going to take her into bruges and we took her viola nursed the four-year-old child all the way we also took an old man and a young woman with a baby at her breast and two small children it was the only thing to be done viola said it was nearly half past five when we left bruges this second time god only knows i groaned what time we'll get to ghent he does she said he knows perfectly well we shall get there by half past seven and we did it was dark when we turned into the place d'armes and drew up before the long grey hotel de la poste i jumped out and stood by the curb to give viola my hand but she said i know this place you want to i don't know where she expected us to go she still sat in the car as if held there by the shock of recognition she ignored my outstretched hand you'd better take your things," she said at last if you want to get out here i'm going on to look for jimmy i had then my first full sense of what i was in for i saw that she was perfectly prepared to throw me over to dump me down here or anywhere else and go on by herself with the car and the chauffeur that were, or ought to have been, mine. She didn't care if I was special correspondent to the morning standard, and she had that beastly chauffeur in her pocket all the time. I discovered afterwards that she'd laid in food for him and hidden it in the locker under the front seat, so that they might be ready for any sort of adventure. And yet, in the very moment that I realized her disastrous obstinacy, I found her intolerably pathetic. If you want to look for Jimmy, I said, you'd better get out, too he'll be here if he's anywhere in ghent but she was already on the curb brushing me aside she had seen behind my back the approach of the concierge and she made for him is mr jevons in this hotel mr tasker jevons yes mr chevons was in the hotel madame would find him in the lounge she had swept past him to the stair of the lounge and i was following her discreetly when the proprietor dashed out of his bureau to intercept us the lounge he said was reserved from seven till nine o'clock for the officers of the general staff. Viola had paid no attention to the proprietor and was sweeping up the stair. I gave Jevons's name and explained that the lady was Mrs. Jevons. The proprietor, a portly and pompous Belgian, positively dissolved in smiles and bows and apologetic gestures. Me pardon, monsieur. Me pardon, it would be all right. Monsieur Chevons was dining with the officers of the general staff he did not know that madame was expected he was to reserve a room for monsieur i told him to reserve rooms for me and the chauffeur and to consult mr jevons about madame and i hurried up the stair after viola she was waiting for me at the turn on the landing by the wide archway of the lounge where the great glass screen began that shut off the staircase she stood back from the entrance looking in and smiling at what she saw it was clear by her attitude and her absorption that something was happening in there as i approached she made a sign to me and withdrew farther back and up the stair he's there she whispered over there in that corner for a moment we stood together on the stair looking down through the glass screen into the lounge the far end of the lounge had been turned into a dining-place for the officers of the belgian general staff most of the tables were cleared now and deserted but from our place on the stair we had a clear view slantwise of one small table in the corner and we saw jimmy seated at that table at least we made him out all but jimmy's head was hidden by the figures of a belgian general and two colonels they had closed in on him they were evidently all four at the end of their dinner they had closed in on him in an access of emotion and enthusiasm the general the one who sat beside him had his arm round jimmy's shoulder the two who sat facing him leaned towards jimmy over half the table and one grasped jimmy's right hand in his the other was making some sort of competitive demonstration the disengaged arms of the three held up the glasses in which they were about to pledge him and at the other end of the room a scattered group of soldiers rose to their feet and looked on smiling and signalling applause what was happening down there was public homage to jimmy and in between the two dark belgian uniforms that obscured him you could just see a bit of jimmy's khaki and from among the white and grizzled heads that pressed on him you saw jimmy's face and jimmy's flush and jimmy's twinkle his incredible irrepressible twinkle you could even see the tips of jimmy's little front teeth trying to bite down his lip into some sort of composure you could see that he was very shy and very modest you could see that in spite of his shyness and his modesty He was frightfully pleased, but more than anything you could see that he was amused. Positively, positively, he had the air of not taking his Belgian officers very seriously. We mustn't go down yet, said Viola, or we'll spoil it. So we waited, looking at Jimmy through the screen, while the officers clinked their glasses and drank to him and called his name. And the group that looked on echoed it, and the waiters who had come in to see what was happening repeated among themselves vive l'angleterre vive les anglais vive chevron 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 i wonder said viola what jimmy has been up to you can take me to him when we got to the table we found jimmy trying to explain to the general and the two colonels in execrable french that he didn't know what it was all about he hadn't done anything then he saw viola for one second while he stared at her across the room He appeared to be suffering from a violent shock he was so visibly hit that the two men who had their backs to us turned round to see what it was that had affected him his flush had gone suddenly and he was breathing hard with his mouth a little open i heard him saying something in french about his wife he recovered however in a second and disentangled himself from the general and the colonels and from the dinner-table and came forward and as he came i noticed something odd about him he limped slightly his khaki had a battered look it was soiled and torn in places and the red cross broussard on his sleeve was simply filthy and he had only been out three days mind you he was only three days ahead of us but he had lost no time as they strolled up to each other and met midway in the big public room in the fraction of time that had passed before their hands touched i heard him draw a hard quivering breath and let it out in a long sigh that breath was a suppressed cry of trouble and of acquiescence then i could have blessed him for it he twinkled viola said what have you been up to and jimmy i say i like that what are you doing here have you come to look at the belfry no i've come to look at you she put her hand on his shoulder he said that's a jolly rig-out you've got and that was all the general and the two colonels came forward and were presented to mrs jevons and mr walter furnival one of our war correspondents was presented to the general and the two colonels they saluted madame they begged madame to accept their profoundest congratulations they regretted that madame had not been present just now when they were drinking her husband's health and the old general the one with the white hair and imperial informed her that monsieur her husband had a very poor opinion of the belgian army he has saved the lives of three belgian officers and i do not know how many belgian soldiers and he says that it is nothing and the stout florid colonel who had been trying to look young and rakish ever since he had turned and caught sight of viola suggested that perhaps if he had saved your british he would not have said that it was nothing and the lean iron-gray colonel with the ferocious moustache remarked in an austere guttural voice il est impayable, jimmy had been offering cigarettes to them as if he thought that was the only thing that would stop them then the old white-haired general sat between viola and him with his arm round jimmy's shoulder and began again so loudly that everybody in the room could hear him your husband madame is a man who does not know what fear is who does not care what death is for two nights and three days madame he has been down there at Aloe and termont under shell-fire mais enfe, madame you would have thought he had been born under fire your husband ce n'est pas un homme et une salamandre bullets mitrailleuse, shrapnel it is no more to him than to go out in a shower of rain when our men were scuttling and shouted to him to get under shelter what do you think he said ouvrir une parapluie ce ne vaut pas la peine there was a shout of laughter that said viola is the sort of thing he would say and please i want to know what's the matter with his leg i can see her now sitting on that crimson velvet seat in the lounge and looking past the gesticulations of the general to jevons who was shaking his head at her as much as to say don't you believe the old boy is a shocking story-teller the old general seemed aware of her preoccupation for he rose murmuring affectionately un petit chevon i will not praise him to you madame no doubt you know what he is i can see her standing up there and giving her hand to the old general and trying to stiffen her face to say i know evidently she thought general roubaix was too voluble to be entirely trustworthy for when he left us and jimmy had gone out to see about our dinner she addressed herself to the two colonels please tell me what my husband really did both the colonels tried to tell her but it was the younger one with the moustache the one who had said that jimmy was employable who satisfied her it was true every bit of it jevons it seemed had been in the thick of the bombardment of ALO and in the fighting for the bridge at termont his practice was to leave kendall and the motor-car behind him in some place of shelter while he walked into the fire sometimes he took his belgian stretcher-bearers with him sometimes when they didn't like the look of it he went by himself he didn't care the colonel said where he went or how if it was through rifle fire or mitrailleuse he went on his hands and knees he wriggled on his stomach if it was shrapnel he took his chance he had saved one of his three officers by carrying him straight out of his own battery when the german guns had found its range and he had driven his car by himself across a five-mile long field under a hailstorm of shrapnel to get the other two you see the colonel expounded your husband has chosen the most dangerous of all field ambulance work those high-speed scouting cars running low on the ground can go where a big ambulance cannot it is magnificent what he has done when jevons came back they could still hardly keep their eyes off him they could hardly tear themselves away it was Ademain, monsieur and Ademain Colonel, as if they had arranged another deadly tryst well said jimmy how do you like them oh they're dears, said viola especially the one with the moustache you know they've told me everything except what's the matter with your leg my leg said jimmy a bit of shell barked it i'm jolly glad it's my leg and not my hand i was a little frightened when viola left us alone after dinner i thought he would pitch into me for bringing her but he only said sadly you oughtn't to have brought her fernie but i suppose you couldn't stop her i said no i couldn't stop her but i hadn't brought her she had brought me we sat on till the lounge was open to the guests of the hotel and when the war correspondence began to drop in i saw that jevons was uneasy do you mind if i turn in old man he said i asked him if his wound was hurting him he stooped and caressed it pensively no he said not a bit i like my wound it it makes me feel manly presently he said good-night and left me i thought yes i certainly thought that he exaggerated his limp a little as he crossed the room and for a moment i wondered is he playing up to the correspondence then i saw that viola stood in the doorway waiting for him and that she gave him her arm and then through the glass screen I saw them going together up the stair. And I remembered the tale that he had told me nine years ago, how he had seen her standing there and looking down at him, half frightened through the glass screen, and how he had said to me, I couldn't. She was so helpless somehow, and so pretty, that for the life of me I couldn't. It was the same room and the same glass screen, and the same stair, and it was the same man. I knew him. I knew him i had always known him was there ever any risk he hadn't taken i had never really for one moment misunderstood i certainly knew why he liked his wound end of book three chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine